Hello, Rebecca. Hi, John. From The Recount and iHeartRadio, this is the News Items Podcast, bringing you analysis based on my newsletter, which is called News Items. It's Wednesday, May 26th. I want to talk about capital expenditure, which is up both in the U.S. and around the world. And I also want to get into the ongoing repercussions of what President Trump described as stop the steal. We've got more madness coming out of Arizona, and it is troubling to say the least. John, what's on your mind today? I also want to discuss Iran's ever-increasing uranium enrichment. But before we get to the items, let's start with two science and tech headlines. First, there's a second killer in India's COVID-19 pandemic, fungus. Roughly 9,000 cases of mucormycosis, or black fungus, have been reported, mostly in survivors of severe COVID-19. Dozens have died. The use of steroids to treat COVID may be in part to blame because it lowers the body's defenses. It's not the only fungal disease observed by India's physicians or in the United States. In fact, Scientific American's cover story for June warns that global health authorities have a blind spot when it comes to fungal threats. John, you included this story in news items over the weekend. Tell us why it caught your eye. It's just it, the misery of India can't possibly be overstated, and this is just one more piece of of that uh, misery. Yeah, you know we don't know the full extent of it because the rural areas are not wired, if you will, for for information and data. Yeah. But it's one that we will be continuing to include in news items, and we'll update uh, news item subscribers accordingly. Yes. Next, John, for a bit of financial history, on March 10th, 2009, as the Great Recession roiled markets, CNBC's Mark Haynes humbly declared that the worst of it was past. However, I'm going to step out on a limb here. Uh, this I is really, the big, hold on, I, everyone, I, we've been I, waiting I for this. I think we're at a bottom. I really do. He called the bottom of the market, and he was right. The S&P had hit its low of 666, and it bounced back from there. Now, CNBC has auctioned off an NFT of this iconic moment. It sold for more than $61,000, and the proceeds will go to Autism Speaks, a charity the late Mark Haynes cared about deeply, and to the Council for Economic Education. Haynes died 10 years ago this past Monday and had been with CNBC since its launch year, 1989. John, what do you think of this particular way of honoring the late, great Mark Haynes? The way I look at it is... You know, media has a fantastic library of what we call content, unfortunately. Unfortunately, that we call it content. Mm -hmm. And NFTs offer at least the possibility of monetizing that content, right? Yeah. You could think about, okay, the NFT of the Boston Red Sox winning the World Series in the Boston Globe uh, library would be something that some crazed Red Sox fan would be willing to pay a ton of money for. So mm -hmm. the NFTs, it seems to me, represent a real opportunity for media companies, particularly legacy media companies, yeah. to sell moments. Yeah. I know for a fact that Dow Jones is a news corp are looking at this very, very uh, closely. Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be the $66,000 moment, and it doesn't have to be the million-dollar moment. Any sort of intellectual property that an owner would like to monetize through a limited run or a limited edition is fair play for an NFT. It doesn't have to be you know, the auctionable item, right? Yeah. In fact, in addition to the main NFT auction, uh, CNBC sold 50 chips of this moment, and uh, those each went for $1,000. Yeah. Anyway, 
Let's get to the news items. Okay, so we might be looking at the beginnings of a red-hot CapEx cycle. That's according to a recent article in The Economist. Morgan Stanley analysts are predicting just that. The analysts predict that by the end of the year, global investment will have risen to 121% of pre-recession levels. So, Rebecca. Yes. <laughs> the Economist has this question in the article. Yes. And now I can pose it to you. What is behind the CapEx cheer and mm -hmm. could it and can it last? You know, there are a lot of answers to that question. The first one, believe it or not, is the recovery. <laughs> believe it or not, you know, we are moving on from COVID and economies are recovering, which is a perfect opportunity for capital expenditure. Ooh. The increase in CapEx has not been evenly observed across all industries. Some of them have been doing it more than others. We'll get to that in a minute. But I think also, besides just the fact of the recovery, is the fact that global supply chains are being wired as a result of the pandemic. I think many people learned the hard way at the beginning of the pandemic that there are certain liabilities with unchecked globalization. And I think there's going to be some kind of reformulation of supply chains, which requires a level of increased CapEx. So just in time yes. has to be reworked. And yes. what's the acronym or whatever. What is right. Just in case. I think you told me that, Jay. Right. Just in case. And The Economist points out in their article that the biggest increase in CapEx is coming from global tech, where the entire sector is expected to increase CapEx spending by 42% relative to 2019. Apple alone has committed to $430 billion of capital expenditure here in the United States, up 20% from previous years. You're seeing it also with semiconductor manufacturers. Taiwan's TSMC has unveiled very extravagant capital expenditure plans. I mean, look, during the pandemic, we saw a massive shift of all kinds of activities online. That creates new demands for software upgrades, new hardware, data center investment, you name it. Right. I mean, it's also like companies can't sit around with a lot of cash on their balance sheets doing nothing, right? I mean, you're going to get targeted by an activist investor, or you're going to get bought. I mean, you know, and incidentally, for those who are proponents of the uh, commodity super cycle. I mean, yeah, commodity prices have been higher across the board, but we're not seeing an increase, according to the economist's uh, analysis, in CapEx from oil and gas companies. They are still observing tremendous capital discipline. You know, they're not going all in just yet, nor are airlines and cruise operators. I mean, there's a lot of hesitancy on the part of those companies that you think would be first in line for this reflation boom. They're going to wait and see. But Personally, I am one who would rather see companies investing in their own operations than blowing it on buybacks. That doesn't drive inclusive growth. That doesn't drive long-term growth. CapEx does. Right. <laughs> so right. this is good news. This is good. on the. I mean, who says that news items is all bad news, right? That's right. It's good. Yeah. It's a good story. All right. <laughs> let's move on. Okay. Last month, Iran declared it was enriching uranium at 60% purity instead of the 3.67% it had agreed to in 2015. In an interview with the Financial Times, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency warned that although some of the steps Iran has taken toward building a bomb can be undone, their newfound know-how cannot. Quote, you cannot put the genie back into the bottle. Once you know how to do stuff, you know. And the only way to check this is through verification, unquote. Of course, Iran is severely limiting the ability of the IAEA to inspect its facilities. John, is it fair to say that the Trump administration set this escalation in motion by abandoning the 2015 nuclear deal? That's what a lot of people think. That's also a lot of people think that Iran's behavior in the Middle East yeah. and elsewhere merited 
some severe punishment. But regardless, the original agreement was called P5 plus one, which was five permanent members of the uh, United Nations plus Germany. So P5 Mm -hmm. plus one negotiated this deal over a very long period of time. And the It wasn't a way of dismantling or stopping Iran's program, nuclear program. It was just a way of sort of delaying it, putting on pause. Mm -hmm. Iran will eventually get the nuke. It's just the general idea is we don't want them to have the nuke just yet. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. An important distinction. And the Trump administration's decision to back out of the deal didn't seem to be very carefully thought through. Mm-hmm. But the other five stayed with the deal. And then, of course, Trump was defeated and the yep. Biden White House is trying to, uh, you know, stitch the deal back together. Mm-hmm. This in the context of Iran being just brutalized by COVID-19. Yeah. The facts on the ground there are much, much worse than they've reported. Yeah. Their economy is staggering along and their principal export energy, obviously, in the last few years has been crushed by low energy prices. So there's a lot that yeah. the P5 plus one can offer Iran in terms of relief yeah. that would seem attractive. On the other hand, they're in the midst of a presidential election and the overwhelming posture, there are more conservative, quote, conservative candidates than there are other candidates and they're all, you know, get tough and death to America, whatever. So it's a it's a highly volatile mix by making it clear that they're going full speed ahead with the nuclear program. I think they're hoping for as many concessions as they can get before they agree to a final stitch up of the P5 plus one agreement with the U.S. back in the fold. You know, as you pointed out a couple of minutes ago, the country has been very hard hit by COVID-19. Its economy has been shellacked by weakness in energy exports, and yet it has the resources to develop a sophisticated uranium enrichment program. Well, if you look at it, I mean, from their point of view, what are you going to do, right? You need the sanctions to go away. Mm -hmm. You know, you need international help with COVID. Iran was devastated by COVID, Mm -hmm. right? So they need foreign aid. What do you have that can sort of command people's attention and make them give you things that you need? Well, Enriching mm-hmm. uranium at 60% of you, like, okay, well, uh, let's get to the table on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's their best card in terms of negotiating with the wider world. It's, it's a lever, and they're using it. Well, stay tuned. Indeed. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the News Items Podcast. According to an Ipsos Reuters poll, 61% of Republicans think the 2020 election was stolen. We continue to see the strength and enduring power of that lie in Arizona. The local ABC affiliate reports that the Republican-led House Appropriations Committee stripped Katie Hobbs, the Democratic Secretary of State, of her ability to defend election lawsuits. This happened after she told azfamily.com that the highly irregular election audit underway was, quote, a political stunt and dangerous to people's safety and to the integrity of democracy, unquote. So the Republican-controlled Senate made it possible for a group, (laughs) if you can believe this, cyber ninjas, okay, Mm -hmm. cyber ninjas to come and do an audit of the results. And that is ongoing. It just 
restarted on Monday. And the more you read about it, the more ludicrous it seems. It hurt Trump to lose that state. I mean, that was a yeah. slap in the face. That was a yeah. slap in the face. You know, it was the first time I think the Republicans had lost Arizona in, you know, forever. Yeah. And I think Arizona, you know, is a special case because Fox News called Arizona for Biden relatively early in the evening of election night. Mm -hmm. And the Trump White House went ballistic, calling Rupert Murdoch in London and calling everybody at Fox News and saying, pull the call, pull the call. Fox News would not pull the call. It turned out that, indeed, Biden had won by roughly 12,000 votes. And there was Mm -hmm. a recount, and then there was another recount, just to make sure that the results were fairly counted. And lo and behold, the results were the same. You would have thought that it would end there, but it's gotten to the point where the Secretary of State, who has a you know, long and well-earned reputation for election management has been stripped of her authority. And you're now into a place where it's at least theoretically possible for a party, in this case, the Republican Party, to say the results are, you know, 211 to 207 in favor of the candidate, but we're going to take a look at that and we'll decide if those votes are real. And in theory, you could reverse the results of an election. And once you start down that path where partisanship can reverse the outcome of an election, then you might as well pack it in because democracy is doomed at that level. Is there any appellate recourse to this decision? I don't think there is. You know, I mean, I think you can sue, right? But. In terms of her being ousted, I don't think there is recourse there. The thing that's astonishing about this is that in terms of elected officials and party operatives, I would say that 97.3% of them believe and know that President Biden won the election fair and square, right? Mm -hmm. But you have all across the country, these same elected officials and party operatives continue to indulge and enable Mr. Trump's fantasy that he, in fact, won the election. And so you have these outbreaks of lunacy, and Arizona is sort of, you know, exhibit A. Uh, The thing about the election in Arizona was not that it was mismanaged or that there were shenanigans or whatever. What was remarkable about it was how well managed it was, how Mm -hmm. nearly perfectly run it was. I also have a question about this poll. This is very alarming. Yeah. 61% of Republicans think the 2020 election was stolen. Even if the poll is off by 10 percentage points, it's still an astonishing number. Yeah. You know, after the 1976 election, if you interviewed all Republicans about whether Jimmy Carter was legitimately elected, you know, 90% of them, 95% of them would have said yes. And now you're in a situation where at least half of self-identified Republicans in the country think that the election was stolen. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to put together (laughs) anything in a bipartisan fashion, if half of the opposition party doesn't believe that you're legitimate, then political compromise is almost impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're headed and we're not, you know, it's not like we're going to stitch it back up together. Trump is going to drive this thing for as long as he can. And therefore, because Republican elected officials and Republican operatives are fearful that Trump's, quote, base, end quote, will turn on them, 
Mm-hmm. They're indulging it. And so it does real harm to, I guess you'd call it the execution of governance. That's a, a stark story for sure. It's really discouraging because <laughs> the simple truth is that it was a really, given COVID especially, it was a really, really well-managed yeah. election, which was recounted mm-hmm. twice and the results did not vary. Biden won. Biden won. You heard it here again. (laughs) (laughs) We heard it. How many more times we can say it, right? (laughs) For more deep dive on the American political process and electoral politics overall, check out the News Items newsletter, which delves into all these topics in much greater detail. You can find that at newsitems.substack.com. Subscribe to the premium version. It's much better. Also, uh, listeners should visit Rebecca's website, which is called investableuniverse.com. She covers the global market of things. And yes. Zero politics. Zero politics. None. <laughs> she's, she's just on the tape, as we say. Just on the tape. Investableuniverse.com. Check yep. it out. News Items is produced by Christian castro Russell, Pierre Bienname, Anna Mazarakis, and Ali Rogers. Our theme music was composed by Billy Libby. Our recording engineer is Simran Singh, and we'd like to thank the whole team at Factory Underground. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon with more of the news. 